You're listening to Halford and Bruff. And the 0-2 pitch swing and a high fly ball. Deep to right field. Renfro going back to the warning track. Looking up and grab ball. Get out the right. Brad and Mustard. It is Grand Salami time. Round towards the end zone. Touchdown. Does it in there for Schoen. And the Bombers... Missing on some pitches, um, you know, in some counts that, you know, I usually kind of put the guy away. And so, you know, that led to, to long at bats. And against a team like this, uh, you know, you really got to be on your A game. What is going on? Happy Friday. We did it. We made it to the end of the week. It is Halford and Bruff here, Sportsnet 650. I'm Jamie Dodd. Israel Fair filling in with me one final time for Izzy. I'm here for two more weeks. I'm stuck here. I made Izzy it. is free after today. Uh, can't say that uh, you know it's been wonderful, Jamie. But I'll, I'll <laughs> well, miss okay, the uh, I'll miss the early morning <laughs> <laughs> alarm. But it, no, it's been it's been a lot of fun. I think we've actually we found some sports things to talk we about really the last have. couple weeks. We've done our best. <laughs> We have done our look. We've been on the we've been on the air for three hours every day. What else? What else can you ask for uh, at this point? We are truly we've been left to our own devices here because for the first week we had both Laddie and a dog, and then for most of this week we had Laddie. Producer Lena has been doing the booking, doing a dog's job. Today, no a dog, no Laddie. We've got our guy Ben in here running the board, and Ben deserves special credit because. In here at, you know, 5.30 in the morning today, didn't leave the station till like 10 o'clock last night because he was uh, taking care of things when we were broadcasting the Mariners game as well. So shout out to our guy, Ben, burning the uh, the candle at both ends here. Just coming off the bench. Coming off the bench. Sixth that's man of right. the year. <laughs> that is right. That is, uh, that's some major kudos there for Ben. Halford and Bruff brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today. Visit your nearest Delari Acura dealer today, also by Johnstone's Barbecues. You don't pay more to shop with the experts at Johnstone's Barbecues. Open five days a week with two locations to serve you. Visit johnstones.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit. At Kintech.net, 650, 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, of course, you can get your What We Learn submissions in for 830. And as always, it's an Ask Us Anything Friday. So throughout the course of the show, we will read your Ask Us Anything questions. Truly never too early to get those in because when I opened the inbox this morning, uh, I saw that Alistair and Victoria had texted one in at 3.54 a.m. So shout out to Alistair, and I will make sure to read your Ask Us Anything at some point because that is true, true commitment. Uh, so get your Ask Us Anythings in else, uh, elsewhere on the show or later on in the show. We've got a big show today coming up uh we're gonna talk to shy davidi sportsnet blue jays insider jays coming off a tough series against the orioles that's at 6 30 at 7 30 bc lions color commentator julia caravada will join us to talk about the latest lions results speaking of tough results for teams at eight o'clock stephanie wood uh, is the vp of marketing and brand development for vancouver fc in the uh, cpl she'll join us for a quick chat they're running a women and girls in sport match uh, on August 6th. So we'll talk to her about that. And then at 8.10, Mark Spector of Sportsnet reacting to the interesting news from the Edmonton Oilers organization yesterday. He'll join the show at 8.10. But before we get to all of that, let's talk about what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. What happened? I missed all the action because I was... How busy your life can be. What happened? You missed What happened is brought to you by the BC Construction Safety Alliance, making safety simpler by giving construction companies the best in tools, resources, and safety training. Visit bccsa.ca. We will start on the gridiron, Izzy. 
Uh, it has been a fantastic, pretty remarkable season so far for the BC Lions. Last night's going to be one to forget, and one that they hope they will be able to move on from really, really quickly. They get blown out 50-14 to 14 in Winnipeg, and blowouts happen in the CFL, not as much as they used to, but the blowouts happen in the CFL. Now, the, the remarkable thing about this one is the Lions' defense had been so incredibly good coming into this game. They'd given up fewer than 100 points through seven games. 100 points total through seven games coming into this. And then they give up 50, right? More than 50% of their season total in one game against Winnipeg. That's really tough. The offense, not great either. Dane Evans already back up the backup QB in Vernon Adams' absence. He has to leave with an injury in the second quarter, so you got your third-string quarterback coming in. That's tough, but there's also offensive line issues. The, the real question here is, is this a blip, or are there legitimate warning signs that the Lions have to be concerned about? And I'm excited to get into that conversation with Julio Caravada. I look at it and think, okay, this is a short week. This is, you have your backup quarterback in, and granted, Dane Evans in previous weeks has been really good, but still, he's your backup quarterback. He's not your number one option, the guy you're going to be counting on to get things done in Vernon Adams. Short week, tough opponent, backup quarterback, some things, sometimes everything goes wrong. Sometimes everything goes wrong, and that's what happens, and you burn the tape, and you move on. I'm willing, I think the Lions have built up enough credibility here over the last couple of seasons I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt that that's all this result was that it's not a signifier of larger issues or it's it's not telling us that you know the defensive results were because they got to play the Elks twice <laughs> already and put up a couple of zeros on the board I, I am willing to withhold judgment on the Lions after this one and Winnipeg's a good team Winnipeg's been the the class of the West now for a few years it was Calgary for the better part of a decade where they were they were competing for yep. the Grey Cup pretty much every year. The the Bombers have been there, and they you see that they, they have the ability to put on those performances, and they have over the, the past couple of seasons. I, I'm not overly concerned about an early August game, but I think it, it sets the mark, especially an early August game without their starting quarterback. Yep. But it sets the bar for, for where they're going to need to be if they are going to push through and you know, ultimately be the top seed in the division, potentially host a, a Western final, push for that Grey Cup and get people behind the team. That's, I mean, we, we saw this matchup in the playoffs last yep. year. And that was, uh, the, you know, the Lions played fine and they had some moments in that in that playoff game. But it's, uh, yeah, I think it's a, just a reminder that things are far from over for this group. And I wouldn't go and say, yeah, Oh, the defense is a complete disaster. Now. No, we saw enough through the first five, six, seven weeks of the season to know that there's some there's some legitimate there's some legitimacy to what the the Lions can do defensively, and it's just it's you know to to use the sports cliche, just part of the process. Well, and I think this game really it, it kind of clarifies the stakes for the remainder of the season, which is. These teams have opened up a gap over the other West Division teams, over Saskatchewan, over Calgary, and especially over Edmonton. And I think we already knew this coming into this game, but it's very clear it's going to be Winnipeg and BC fighting for first place in the Western Division. And of course, more importantly, fighting for the right to host a Western Division final for the right to go to the Grey Cup. Because that this, this is the kind of matchup between two really good teams where home field advantage can be decisive. And, you know, they have identical 6-2 and two records right now. Like, that's going to be the key. And I really think, as you say, you know, Winnipeg has been the class of the West for a while now. They have Zach Caleros, one of the most consistent, high-performing quarterbacks in the CFL. I, I think at this point for BC, the question is, they've done enough now where the question isn't just, can you be a good team, right? Can you win a playoff game? It's, can you knock off Winnipeg? Can you knock off Winnipeg from the perch they're in, in the Western Conference? Can you prove... And it's a realistic conversation. I know, it's year. absolutely. Just 
50 to 14, again, I'm willing to write that off as a blip, but I think it's just a good reminder. That's what the goal is. That's what kind of the immediate near-term goal is, I think, for this season, is knock off Winnipeg and kind of take their crown as the team to beat in the West. Yeah, and look, the reality of, of losing Vernon Adams a couple of weeks ago yep. is real. Go back to last season, and Nathan Rourke was having a pretty unprecedented stretch. Now, some of that, the attention and also the records were – Canadian specific a Canadian quarterback doing things in the CFL that we hadn't seen in a really long time Vernon Adams isn't Canadian but he's a veteran of the CFL Mm -hmm. and he's had some pretty impressive performance he had the one stinker against Toronto but otherwise was putting together a really fine season when the Lions lost Rourke last year they had a period of time there they they get Vernon Adams Mm -hmm. Antonio Pipkin's playing a little bit (laughs) like they're, they're they were in this category where their play took a bit of a step back and then by the time September rolled around and the playoffs came around they were in a a better place they'd raised their bar once again the fall off this year has not been as precipitous even with this blowout loss so you have to think that whether Adams comes back in the near future or you know someone like Evans gets the opportunity to keep playing but this is the reality and like quite frankly the quarterback position, we talked about it a little bit this week. The idea is that there, there are barely enough starters to yeah. go around in the league at the moment. So anytime that a established starter, last year with Rourke, this year with Adams, there, there's going to be a drop-off. And it, it hasn't been... It hasn't been as glaring as it was last season. No, and I mean, I think it is... It does sound like Vernon Adams is going to be back sooner rather than later for the Lions. And, you know, they they have an opportunity like Winnipeg has done with Zach Caleros because, as you say, quarterback talent is at such a premium in the CFL now. You can really separate if you have an established veteran high-performing CFL quarterback like the Bombers do, like the Lions do when they have Vernon Adams on the field. And you add that to a defense that – you know, last night aside, has been really, really good this year, and it should absolutely be a realistic expectation to win the West Division, host uh, a, f- a potential final against Winnipeg. And, yeah, after what happened last night in Winnipeg, the Lions will want to make sure that a, a, any potential playoff matchup happens at BC Place uh, between those two teams uh, elsewhere in football. The Hall of Fame game. One of the least entertaining sporting events on the North American pro sports calendar. The Hall of Fame game in the NFL yesterday. I'm not sure if there is a single sports event that people are jazzed for. That is, and le- then that is worse. It is immediate letdown. <laughs> yes. It's yes. a constant with people are so fired up that the NFL's back. And it's usually it's like the first series, the first play people go. Oh, this yeah. isn't really the And NFL. yet yesterday, and I don't know if this is true, but like it felt even worse than a normal Hall of Fame game for some reason to be like you just go go to the box score and obviously you know, look, we're not we knew we weren't going to see Aaron Rodgers or Deshaun Watson or anything like that, but just like look at the guys who were getting rushes, who were who were getting targets, who were catching the ball. It's like this is nobody. There's this have this is of no relevance to what these teams are going to do this year. No relevance to your fantasy team. No relevance to your NFL futures. Like zero relevant things happening in the Hall of Fame game. Yet because as you say it's the first NFL action uh, of the season, it always gets attention. I mean, my big question really is, you know, I saw Zach Wilson had a really nice long <laughs> completion. Really really nice long completion in that game. Uh Will Zach Wilson's haters become his waiters? Is he is he ready to sit down at the table of success and unseat Aaron Rodgers as the quarterback of the New York Jets? Do we do we have a quarterback controversy in, in this, New York? In this scenario, is Aaron Rodgers like a sommelier at the at the <laughs> restaurant of the? He's the, the ayahuasca with the table dealer. Of success. He just comes in. Zach Wilson, would you like the Pinot Gris or the Merlot? <laughs> Because uh, no, they I, had uh, not a battle, not a not a war of words, but like you know, it was this very funny insight when Aaron Rodgers finally the trade happens, and yep. it's just like, no, I'm gonna you know I'm gonna be nice to this guy. I'm and going like, to be nice to him. Oh, that's this, big of you. Zach Wilson sort of like well, I'm gonna try to compete with this guy, and it's like, yeah, good luck, buddy. Okay, you do that. You do that, pal. Uh, I'm obviously joking. I did want to mention Joe Thomas was there. Of course, it's the Hall of Fame game. He's going in to the Hall of Fame legendary left tackle for the Browns and 
they mentioned the stat, and I've heard, I knew this stat, but it you know, came to mind again yesterday. He played over 10,000 consecutive snaps. 10,000 conse- consecutive snaps for the Browns at left tackle. And I know tackles can have a lot, a lot of longevity. Like, obviously, it is. Every, every position in football is physically demanding and physically punishing, but you can play for a long time as, a, as an offensive lineman and as a tackle specifically. But 10,000 consecutive snaps at left tackled, that is absolutely wild. And it got me thinking about Ironman streaks and streaks for durability and longevity in sports. I don't know what the what the all-time record for um, consecutive snaps is in the NFL, but like that Joe Thomas one, that feels like one of the most impressive ones I can remember. Because I feel like the hockey Ironman record has lost a little bit of its luster after it's gone from Yandel to Kessel, because we look at both of those players and kind of think, well, the reason you're able to play so many games in a row is you're you're, you're shying away from contract contact a little bit, right? Like, that's part of the story mm-hmm. with both of those players. So it doesn't have quite the same reverence, I don't think. You know, obviously, Cal Ripken's Iron Man streak was a huge deal in the 90s when he passed Lou Gehrig. And I will say, like, you can you can make your jokes about baseball, right? That's fair. He was the fact that he was doing it at shortstop, which is one of the more physically demanding positions on the diamond, right? Maybe not, it's not center field where you're running that much, but you're making a lot of plays. You're laying out for ground balls. You're, you know, turning double plays where guys are sliding into mm-hmm. you to break them up. Like, I was thinking about it last night. That it's pretty astounding just the sheer number of games he racked up at shortstop in a row, but 10,000 consecutive snaps. For Joe Thomas, it's believed, is something else. It's believed to be the all-time record. Joe, Joe, Joe Thomas, Joe Thomas, yeah, on some terrible, on some Browns absolutely teams. brutal, brutal. A lot Browns of them. He, they had a couple years where they were okay <laughs> for Cleveland standards, but a lot of that is, yeah, like not, the guy did not have a lot of no, help. He was not. He uh, was excellent. He was at doing what he it, did. protecting. Like I was gonna like list off a bunch of Browns quarterbacks, but they're all so anonymous and bad that I like, can't even remember them. <laughs> Derek Anderson. I remember That's that the first year. one I was. Going I remember to. that year. Yeah. He, Joe Thomas would have been after, like, Tim Couch. He, yeah. he would have come around after that. But, yeah, a lot of bad, bad, bad Browns quarterbacks that uh, Joe Thomas had the pleasure or displeasure of uh, of protecting. By all accounts, he was very professional. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. He seems like a great guy. Good follow on Twitter. The Ripken one is – it's – the thing with baseball, you're right. It's easy to say uh, you don't have to do all that much. You're yeah. standing around. Probably of, of any position – Shortstop is where you have to go from standing to yeah. making a quick, agile play. The most. Of the any, most of often. any position. Yeah. You know, the hot corner, it's called the hot corner because the balls are coming right at you and you have mm-hmm. to react quickly. But that's more with your gloves. With shortstop and the coverage that you need to have, it's going from an absolute standstill to making a play. And th- like this, we'll talk about Shohei Otani in a second here. Mm-hmm. This idea, the, the thing that impresses baseball players the most about him is that he goes from pitching, and he, and he hits when he pitches, mm-hmm. to hitting for the next three or four days. And players are saying, like, just the, the, the wear and tear, the soreness. And the reason that he doesn't play the outfield at all anymore is that there is something to be said about just standing out there. Like, mm. it sounds stupid because you're like, hey, give this guy credit for stamina and endurance. Yeah. What's for he standing. doing? He's standing out there. <laughs> but he's standing out there for hours. And it's not he's just standing out there with a pina colada. He's standing out there. And then when a ball is hit, you have to jump right into action to make right. a it's kind a quick of play. Twitch. It's, it's from, like w- from zero to six. Watching Julio Rodriguez play center field yeah. is a delight because he is such a good athlete that he tracks down these balls. His reaction time is amazing. And there are balls hit to the left center field gap or the right center field gap. And he just makes it look really easy. And it's it's that I think more than anything, it's just that general soreness. Yeah. Even in baseball, a sport that's not physical like hockey, 
guys, you're you're playing every day. Well, the for yeah, six months. I was gonna say that's the other part of it. It's every day, right? You get a handful of days off, right? You might go a month with one day off, and and I think that puts Cal Ripken's streak in a lot of perspective and the, the, as well. It's, it's twenty years. It's 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 crazy. It's pretty unreal. Um, speaking of baseball, Jays lose again to the Orioles, six one. Another dismal offensive performance. Uh, only ten runs in the four game series against the Orioles and. I mean, it's it's hard to really put a spin on this one. I know you can kind of throw your hand. If Laddie was here, he'd be saying, hey, that's baseball. At a certain point, an inability to compete and beat the top team in your division, it goes from like a small sample size thing to this is genuinely concerning. And I, I think we're there with the Jays. Uh, we will talk more about what's next for the Jays and their offensive struggles with Shai Davidi at 630. But uh, as you heard coming in, big time win for the Seattle Mariners. Cade Marlowe hitting the go-ahead Grand Slam in the ninth inning, and they beat the Angels 5-3. Otani and the Angels 5-3 in that one, Izzy. Yeah, Otani started, uh, but came out of the game after four innings, four shutout innings, I guess with some cramping yep. in his hand. Still hit a homer in the eighth, which at that point made the game 3-1 Angels. But the Mariners... They've, they've been a bit of the, the comeback kids. It's what they did last year, too, when they had their epic winning streak that pushed them back into a playoff spot. Yep. Cade Marlowe just, just recently called up, called up uh, after Jared Kelnick kicked a water cooler and <laughs> broke his foot. Awesome. Really, really cool for the Mariners. They've been on a – they've been better the last month or so. Great name, Cade Marlowe, too. Yeah, great solid baseball name. name. Solid, well, we, solid I have, name. A, I think, a better baseball name coming up here. Yes, yes. Because we do have uh, – if, if you're familiar with the, the Tungsten O'Doyle tweet that goes out every time something, yep. you know, hilariously bad happens to the Angels yep. that, that goes out there and it's – yeah, which is basically the idea is that Mike Trout always, and yeah. specifically Shohei Otani do something incredible and the Angels lose. Yeah, that's uh, something that hasn't been seen in like 50 to 100 years yeah. in Major League Baseball as the Angels lose 9-5. Well, so th they, <laughs> we've got another one. Shohei Otani started the game last night, pitched four innings. He's the first player to start a game, hit a home run, and steal a base since, and this is the baseball name, Jamie, Mudcat Grant did it in 1964. As the Angels lose to the Mariners 5-3. Mud Cat Grant. That is a solid. Also, that's like 1964, I feel like, is a little late for like vintage baseball names. Normally you hear them, I feel like, like turn of the century kind of thing. You know what I mean? Or like 20s around so there. So Mud Cat is Mud Cat James was hanging Timothy. On. James Timothy Grant. The Mud Cat. I had the same idea. I had a tweet ready. He goes two for two at the plate. 40th home run, walked twice, stole a base, scored two runs, <laughs> drove in a run, struck out four batters, and threw four shutout innings. Yeah. And the Angels lose. The Angels lose. On a grand slam in the ninth inning. I admire the Angels deciding to go for it, right? And saying, hey, we're going to trade. We're going to bring in a bunch of guys. Because at a certain point, the idea of just constantly missing the playoffs with Shohei Otani on your team is just so ridiculous. Like, it's just so kind of patently ridiculous and embarrassing. You have not just the best player in the league, but one of the best professional athletes, really, performing at a level that we've rarely seen. Like, in a, in a group of a select few. It's just so embarrassing that they can't get their act together. And they should. I think they should have gone for it for that reason, because it would have been even more embarrassing to just give up on it, give up on trying to compete with Shohei Otani. But if they miss the playoffs and he walks, like that is just devastating. The, the, the sheer amount of futility that they have put on the field there with the opportunity to build around Mike Trout and Shohei Otani is wild to me. Yeah, that's the thing. You draft Mike Trout late in the first round, yep. just over right 10 years Randall ago. Right after Randall Grichuk. That's right. That is the famous, the famous trivia. <laughs> they had back-to-back -back picks in Randall the first Grichuk round. Randall Grichuk and Mike Trout. And Randall Grichuk was picked ahead of Mike Trout. That's wild. Uh, it's not quite Daniel and, and Henrik Sedin <laughs> uh, going back-to-back -to, -back to the same team. And then they get this player who, you know, I guess the most hyped Japanese player since Ichiro. Mm -hmm. or maybe, maybe Daisuke. Daisuke, yeah. Daisuke got quite a bit of attention. But this guy's like, this guy was being profiled on CNN. Hey, there's this guy in Japan who mm -hmm. pitches and hits, and he can throw 100 miles per hour, and he can fit, hit 500-foot home runs. 
the amount of attention that Bryce Harper got as a young player for hitting 500 foot home runs yep. was bonkers. And now that's that's an American kid uh, who had you know some swagger, some riz. So he was gonna get he was gonna get that kind of that kind of profile. Yep. But when CNN is doing the Otani thing, and then he's like, you know what, I'm gonna sign with the Angels. And we're we are definitely gonna go over this again when he hits free agency. Yep. With, okay, okay, why did he sign with the Angels? Well, it's, we don't really know. He's, I, I think he wants to play with Mike Trout to some degree. People always talk about the West Coast thing being important to him. We will have some more information depending on, you know, it, it's possible he resigns or wherever he ends up next. But it does feel like it feels like such a gut punch. You know, the way we're talking, we talk about Connor McDavid being wasted to some degree mm-hmm. in Edmonton. They've been making the playoffs the last few years. They've gone to the conference they finals. Made the conference They've finals had a couple runs. of years ago. Yeah. It's not the same. This and, and competing in baseball is really tough. You know, it's not like Barry Bonds at his peak. Yeah. Was like not getting into the steroids debate right now, but just based on, <laughs> on impact, the production was yeah. unreal. As a hitter, pretty much unlike anything we'd seen. They made the one run to the World Series. It's not like they were making the playoffs no. every single year. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Get your Ask Us Anythings in. We will read them throughout the show. We've got an open segment coming up at 7, so we'll have a chance to dive into lots of Ask Us Anythings then. Uh, but up next, Shai Davidi covers the Jays for Sportsnet. He joins us here on Halford & Bruff Sportsnet 650. Hey, everybody. Mike Halford here for the Delari family of Acura dealers in the 2023 RDX, which I am driving Right now, I love the connectivity in this car. It's got Alexa built in and its very own Wi-Fi hotspot. That's right. It's very own Wi-Fi hotspot. Test drive one today. It's a 2023 RDX at North Shore Acura, Acura of Langley, or Burrard Acura on Terminal Avenue. Welcome back to Halford and Bruff, Sportsnet 650 with Jamie Dodd and Israel Fair. It's an Ask Us Anything Friday. Hit us up with your questions, 650-650 in the Dunbar Lumber text line. Halford and Bruff brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today. Visit your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Also by Johnstone's Barbecues. You don't pay more to shop with the experts at Johnstone's Barbecues. Open five days a week with two locations to serve you. Visit Johnstone's Dot com. We are live from the Kentech studio and joining us now on the line, uh, Blue Jays and Major League Baseball insider with Sportsnet, Shai Davidi. Shai, thanks for doing this. How are you? I'm all right. What's going on, fellas? Uh, not a whole lot. And, uh, you know, just uh, kind of digesting a, a pretty frustrating series for the Jays against the division leading Baltimore Orioles. And, you know, the, the Jays' struggles against the AL East and the Orioles specifically have been well-documented. Is there anything to it beyond just the Orioles are a good team and sometimes, you know, in, in a relatively small sample of games, you're going to lose a bunch of games against a good team? You know, I think that's the question a lot of people are asking. And I think there's a few things. One... the Orioles have executed really well in those games and they've really executed at timely moments. And I think if you were to kind of look to point to maybe one stat that's really telling, it's the hitting with runners in scoring position for the Blue Jays across the, uh, what is it, uh, 10 games that they've uh, they've played against the the Orioles. It's just, uh, it's a very unusual number uh, it, it, it was, uh, it's something in the neighborhood. I don't, I don't have the exact number in my memory cause I've got too many numbers floating around something like 14 for, for 90, 93, 94, something in that range. And it, in, in a handful of those games, you know, if, if it's just one more hit a game, you're changing the result in, in, in a number of them. But the Blue Jays didn't get those hits. The Orioles did. And that's, that's going to where you're at. But why the, why the Blue Jays haven't executed better in those spots? Uh, you know, I think that's in part it's more symbolic of their wider issues hitting with runners in scoring positions all season long. Mm-hmm. But but it's certainly been uh, been all the more glaring, or the, the Orioles have certainly exploited it maybe a bit more uh, than other teams have. The runners in scoring position thing is uh, is an aspect of the game that is 
maybe top of the list. Uh, the other argument, I guess I would say, is is a, is a bad bullpen of things that fans get frustrated by because to them it's, you know, you got to change your approach. You got to do this. You got to do that. And when you're losing games to a team you're chasing in the standings, it, it certainly ratchets up that frustration. Shy, you've covered some pretty good Blue Jays teams. You've covered some less good Blue Jays teams. This team, at least based on their record, would be at least in the middle, maybe even in that upper half. But it feels like this season, because of some of the, the aspects of this team's play, at least from the fans' perspective, the frustration seems to be pretty high. Do, do you think that's that's fair, just based on the way that the team has played? Yeah, and I, I think part of that, Izzy, is that this team's in a lot of close games, right? And so even when they're losing a lot of the time you feel like they could have won. And because there's just so many tight games or there've been so many tight games and uh, there aren't those, those base hits that sort of reduce the leverage. It just feels like everything is tight. Over the past few years, you've gotten used to this team really being able to open it up offensively against other clubs. And like sometimes the pitching would, would let them down but they were pretty good at beating up other clubs, uh, at least at the plate. And that piece hasn't been there this year. And it's really been the pitching and defense that has done a lot of the heavy lifting. And so I think maybe that's partly why it, it feels as frustrating as it does. And you know, in, in some ways, this team reminds me a little bit of the 2016 club where mm you think that the offense is going to do a lot of the heavy work, but instead it's like pitching a defense that right. really carries them through. And, you know, if we were talking a lot about hitting with runners in scoring position and, and why this offense isn't doing more back in 2016 as well. Yep. Uh, and then you saw it in spurts and, uh, you know, there's some, some loose parallels there. And, you know, I think if you look at this club, you're like, okay, well, there are a bunch of guys who, who should be better and that still, that, you know, if they're going to reach their career numbers, they're going to sort of help carry, uh, carry this team to, to, better, to, to better offensive performance. But the fact that it, it's taken four months and still hasn't happened on a sustained basis, all that contributes to some of that frustration because, you know, they can be, they're, they're not an easy watch because there's just so much tension constantly. And I think, you're, if you're a baseball fan watching for 162 games, you, know, you, you want to breather every once in a while. You know, you're like, you're just like, take it easy on us. Like, leverage is great, but I can't do leverage every single day. Uh, and that's just what it feels like with this club. Yeah, you need a laugher or two uh, sprinkled in there, Pre preferably in favor of your team. And, you know, for all the talk about the, the general offensive struggles, and as you said, there's been a bunch of players who are underperforming relative to their, to their expectations – I do keep coming back to uh, to Vladdy specifically, and he's not having a horrible season by any stretch, but he's also not the kind of middle of the lineup force that you're expecting and you're banking on uh, him being. And I do wonder, you know, even if, if just Vladdy, if everything else stays the same, but Vladdy was the more typical Vladdy, especially in terms of power numbers this year, how different would the conversation be around the Jays this season? Sure. I think that's totally fair. The one piece that I would throw into that is that it seemed a little bit like, you know, if, if you think about his first six weeks of the season, it looked like, all right, Vladdy's back to form. He's, he's on one. He's going to have a great year. And then, you know, these things kind of coincided, but he had the wrist thing and uh, missed a couple games. And then there was a bit of a dip in performance. And it's like you almost saw as if teams are like, you know what, we're just not going to let, we're just going to try to eliminate Vladdy. We're going we're to try to show him, right? And I think this may be one area where, you know, the Blue Jays, this is, this is kind of where, sure, you miss the, the power and, and the numbers, but maybe part of the thing that you're missing in Teoscar Hernandez is just having that real threat, that consistent power threat behind Vladimir Guerrero Jr., that would make teams maybe a bit reluctant to sort of pitch around them. But I think because nobody's been super hot behind Vlad at any point this season, you can kind of just say, all right, well, we're just going to like, we're just going to go all on the edges and all on the black and we'll see if he chases. And if he walks, he walks and we're just not going to let this guy beat us. And that's been, you've seen a lot of that 
in in the way teams have approached Vlad. I think that combination, you know, Vlad was maybe a touch more locked in then maybe he's able to get do a little bit more damage on a few of those pitches, but he isn't getting a lot of cookies in the middle of the plate where he can do some, some major damage with. And so those two things kind of feed into one another and then no, having no one behind them. So it's, it's sort of easy to point to one thing, but there's also, uh, it really feels multifactorial to me. And yeah, if Vlad could get going, that'd be great. But you know, maybe it's taking George Springer to get going a little bit too behind him that makes it a little bit easier for Vlad. And, you know, one of the things the Blue Jays have talked about a fair bit this year is like, you know, try to do something to make it easier for the guy after you. And, you know, th- that that hasn't really taken place either. So you've kind of got this vicious circle in multiple ways, all, all adding up to a season of, uh, of underperformance. Springer's the the other guy I was going to bring up. We saw him uh, react to breaking the, the the hitless streak the other night, and he, throughout his career, going back to his days with Houston, has just been a remarkably consistent offensive player. I don't think he's ever had a stretch particularly this bad. He certainly hasn't had a season where he hasn't had this kind of production. And the first two years, the first couple of years with the Blue Jays, when they were when they were pounding teams and putting up runs, he was a huge part of that, either by getting on base or by starting off games with home runs. Uh, he, he definitely gives the lineup a, a different dynamic, uh, but he's he's struggling a lot this year. Uh, obviously, the mind immediately goes to injuries and how he's able to to manage uh, some of the knocks that, that he he's had to deal with in the past. But as you look at, at the final two months and, well, I think we can all sit here and say, well, if, if Vladimir Guerrero plays like an MVP candidate, the Blue Jays should be fi- fine. Uh, the idea that George Springer just needs to be an average hitter would also change things for this team. What does that look like for, for Springer, given all the struggles that he's had this season? It's a, that's a great question. And we saw the way he played last year where he was just in constant pain dealing with that elbow and You'd see him grimacing after swings or after plays in the field, and he was really just just in agony. And then he comes into spring training. He says he's feeling great. You think, okay, well, if he's not, if he's at a hundred percent, then you should be getting closer to the best version of George Springer. And instead, it just hasn't been there. And there's been some bad luck for him. Like if you look at his underlying stats, there are a lot of indicators of saying, okay, he's making far better contact than what his numbers point out and that there should be more performance there or there should be more production there. That kind of thing happens and you say, okay, that's going to normalize over time, but it hasn't. And then you get this dip here and uh, Nick Ashburn over at Yahoo did a really nice job in a piece uh, yesterday or two days ago, looking at how much, uh, how much trouble he's been having with his sl- with the sliders. And over the past month, he's gotten a steady diet of that. And that's been a bit of a factor and, he hasn't made that adjustment yet to, to be able to either lay off or, or do something with those pitches. So, you know, he's an experienced enough hitter, a smart enough hitter, a capable enough hitter that you'd expect that to come around. And, you know, he's a player who has MVP caliber type of talent. It hasn't been there for him. And, again, you think that he that he'd eventually – come around to be somewhere around his career norms but maybe there's maybe this is one of those years that it just things go wrong and he's got to figure some things out in the offseason in terms of how to get get better so if he's able to just get hot and you know and we saw Bo Bichette do this last year mm-hmm. where you know through four and a half months of the season you're like this is not a great year and then it all happened for him in six weeks and he basically carried the team to the playoffs you know, George Springer is capable of that. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is capable of that. Matt Chapman is capable of that. Dalton Varsho can get really hot, and he's done that in spurts over the course of his career. There are a lot of guys who can still do it, but again, the longer it goes into the season, the harder it can sometimes become to, to break habits and to find that, that period of being locked in. One uh, one interesting name that was just called up, Davis Schneider from AAA. And, you know, kind of an unheralded 
prospect coming into the season, but has really exploded with his offensive numbers uh, in AAA. And, you know, look, obviously it's not fair to to expect him to come in and really jolt this offense, but w- what kind of usage would you expect to see uh, from managers, uh, from, the, from the Blue Jays with uh, David Schneider? Yeah, I mean, like, we, we should sort of manage expectations yes. here. So it's not like the second coming of Bo Bichette is on his way to Boston, right? It's, this is a, uh, someone who, who's got a little bit of pop, and uh, in an ideal, an ideal world, he's just giving you more off the bench than, than what you're doing right now. And I think yesterday the, the Blue Jays really got exposed a little bit, the seventh inning. Uh, Danny Bay comes in, and you've got two lefties at the bottom of the lineup, and the Blue Jays just really didn't have options to turn those turn those hitters around uh, at that point in the game where where you really need to, and, and that's where you've got to be able to do damage too. Because okay, Bay is good, but he's not Yenier Cano and Felix Batista, and you've got to do your damage there before you're getting to the two big boys, and and the Blue Jays really didn't have an answer there. And so, you know, that's certainly one spot where Davis Schneider can, can fill in. Now, do you want to get really creative? You know, this is something that at least has been talked about always on a short-term emergency basis. But if you're really desperate for offense, do you maybe slide Matt Chapman over to shortstop for a little bit and play Davis Schneider at third base? I mean, you know, you could do crazier things. You're giving up some defense there for sure. Uh, and you just acquired Paul DeYoung, and part of the reason you acquired him is you're, you're going to focus on run prevention as opposed to run creation out of the shortstop spot. But that would be sort of one wild application. He could play some second base, and they could put Whit Merrifield into left field. That's, that's another op- option, and maybe the one that's a bit more likely. But, uh, you know, David Schneider has been a bit of a Swiss Army knife uh, on the defensive side of the ball playing in a bunch of different spots. He's got reps at first, second, third, right and left this season at Buffalo. And so there are a number of different pathways that he can take into the lineup and how much his bat is able to play that will ultimately determine his usage. Cause right now the blue Jays need production. They aren't getting it from a lot of different people and maybe having one guy who's been having a tremendous season at triple a Buffalo, a real breakout year for him. Maybe he's able to get hot for a week or two and give them a little bit of a lift to play a bit of a catalyst role. You know, one one interesting thing is uh, this, a strength of the Jays this year has been the bullpen. They add to that with Jordan Hicks, and now you know Chad Green might be healthy at some point here. Jordan Romano is going to get healthy. All of a sudden, uh, John Schneider and and the management are going to have some difficult decisions to make in the bullpen, uh, at least for the, the month of August. How do you see those decisions shaking out here, Shay? Well, it's kind of funny, right? You, you, they get Jordan Hicks. You're like, oh, what are they going to do? Is, how, did, how is this going to get sorted when Chad Green gets there? And then you've got Jordan Romano on the on the IL. You've got Trevor, Trevor Richards on the IL. It just reinforces how you just never have enough, right? Nate Pearson yeah. uh, hits a bit of a road bump, and he's not there. And then, you know, all of a sudden you've got Bowden Francis and Thomas Hatch in your bullpen. And you're like, well, that, that happened quick. So, uh, look, Chad Green, there are multiple pathways. When he's ready, there's going to be a spot for him, without doubt. Uh, if you're, you know, the, the Jay Jacksons or the Nate Pearsons of the world or Zach Pop, who's been at Buffalo uh, ever since he, he got hurt at the beginning of the year, you know, the, it, it's maybe a bit of a tougher road uh, to get back. But the, the Blue Jays need those leverage arms. And, again, we, were talk, we started the conversation talking about how much leverage they play in the more of those leverage arms that you have the better off you're going to be in those tight games and they certainly overworked to an extent uh, eric swanson and jimmy garcia and tim Meza and even jordan romano uh, you know he was he pitched in four, uh, four times in five days before he ended up on the injured list uh, those types of things jordan hicks helps and so and chad green will help too if, if he gets back to form and certainly looks like that's going to happen. So uh, those things will sort of get sorted out. And again, just the the attrition rate and and the workload. uh, Ultimately, there's going to be a spot for him, and it it probably won't be as, as complicated as it can sometimes look on paper. 
Trying to parse comments from a Blue Jays GM, Ross Atkins, is uh, often an exercise in futility, but I did find it interesting <laughs> that leading into the deadline, he was pretty pretty on message in terms of we believe that we don't need to make any significant moves. You know, they add Hicks, they add some infield depth as well, but he kept pretty consistent with the idea that the internal improvements are there. The potential is there from guys like Vlad, from guys like Springer that we talked about to be closer to versions of themselves that we've seen before and then for this team to be competitive. But this is still a team that's in a wild card race. Uh, there are some teams now that that they are being chased by that are that playing some pretty good baseball. If the Blue Jays have the rest of the season being a frustrating one, even if they get into the playoffs, they have an early playoff exit again. And the the tone for management was we, we believed in our group. If If that's how the season plays out, how much of that – ire that the people have had for for this team the frustration that the people have had for this team will will then be reflected on or the 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 target will be moved toward management well ultimately it always rests there right they're the guys putting to together the team and you know regardless there's going to be some pretty significant turnover on this club this offseason because Matt Chapman's a pending free agent. Kevin Kiermaier, Brendan Belt, also pending free agents. Whit Merrifield's got uh, an option that's probably going to be up, so he's going to hit the market. Uh, Jordan Hicks is a free agent. Kenjin Ryu is a free agent. And that's a that's a big chunk of the team, and there's uh, a very significant chunk of money, r- roughly seventy million dollars, that's coming off the books this offseason too. So there is going to be some transformation here one way or the other. The Blue Jays are going to look uh, fairly different uh, no matter how things, how things go uh, in 2024. So the question then becomes, all right, you know, how much faith does the fan base have in, in the front office? You know, they, they had a team that had been, had been in the playoffs, had knocked on the door in 21, had been in the playoffs in 2020, and didn't, if it, whatever happens this year, you throw that in the mix, okay, well, is that trustworthy or is that, you know, how is this group going to get, get, get this team over the hump? And I think that's where the conversation ends up lying. And, you know, if I, if I go through this offseason, I understand a lot of the moves that they made, right? And I understand sort of the transformation and saying, okay, this team's got to be tighter. And they, they have been much better defensively uh, it's been an absolute difference maker. You don't see them bleeding out games the way that they did last year, but instead they're just games where they're just not able to, where they just feel a bat short. And, you know, my part of my guess is I, they probably were banking on a little bit more power from Brandon Bell. I think he's been great from an on base percent uh, on base uh, uh, perspective and in terms of just getting some hits, but, they probably wanted a bit more power out of that spot. And that probably helps if Teoscar Hernandez out of the lineup, they certainly were banking on a little bit more from Dalton Varsho and that hasn't happened. And, you know, I still like Dalton Varsho over the long term. I, I think that he's a player who will come around, but he may need an off season to make some adjustments, to get himself right for, uh, to, to really leverage all the power and all the ability that he has. So, you know, I, I don't think that it was this disaster uh, from a process standpoint, but the results are the results, and here we are. So I think that will definitely be a discussion point, but regardless of what happens, this team's going to be different. Like, you can't run back this group uh, just because of how many players are coming off uh, are going to be eligible for free agency. Shy, we always appreciate the time. Thanks for chatting with us. Yeah, no problem, guys. Be well. Have a great weekend. Thanks, That Shai. is Shai Davidi, Sportsnet's Blue Jays and uh, Baseball Insider weighing in on the Jays with some interesting thoughts there about management and where things go. And we just got a couple of texts in here. Um, one, John Schneider is a terrible manager. Another one saying, uh, do, do you think Schneider is the right guy? Will he be back next year? And the interesting thing with John Schneider as the manager, as the coach, the field-level co- coach is – what you hear and what's reported is that he's not doing a lot of things without input 
from higher up, from the general manager's office, from Ross Atkins, right? Now, obviously, there's always going to be scenarios that come up in a game that maybe you haven't been prepared for, you haven't been briefed on. But in terms of, hey, which which relievers are available to you today, right? Like, hey, you've got Hinjin Ryu coming back. How are you going to manage a, a six-man rotation? Who's going to start when? You know, who, where sh- who should hit where in the lineup? Those aren't really John Schneider's decisions to make. Those are coming with, at the very least, a heavy dose of input from Ross Atkins and from baseball operations, the front office. And I think that goes also to what you're saying, right? In those circumstances, it's hard to use a coach as a fall guy or as a, you know as the scapegoat for yep. a season when it's pretty well known that you're the one making those even those tactical decisions for the coach. Yeah, I'm really curious where the reaction is going and shy very rationally laid out that this team is headed for a transition anyway, based on contracts mm-hmm. and, and the way that they're going to build. And I don't think that this off season was a disaster. I mean, we do have a text here. Ross Atkins should be fired for the Guriel and Moreno for Varsho deal. Probably the worst trade in all of baseball in this century. And then there's the Teoscar Hernandez trade mm-hmm. where they get back Eric Swanson, a very useful reliever. The comments at the deadline saying we believe in this group and all of that stuff, to me, if if the scenario plays out like it looks like it's going to, which is the Jays get in the playoffs, they don't go on a run, yep. it's the same story we've seen now for three years in a row, when does it become a management question of, well, you're the one picking these players, you're the yep. one building this team, and if you are facing this transitional window because of contracts coming up and They've added these veteran players. You know, he mentions Merrifield in Brandon Belt. It's not like they're going to be part of the long-term future. What the, what does that pivot look like? And I could see a scenario where fans are pretty upset by another season that plays out the same way and that there isn't that faith in management being uh, the, the, the people to, to put it together. And, and the Schneider point that, that you made, Jamie, is, is spot on as well. It's definitely part of the conversation. Yeah, and I mean, the other thing is, it's not like these guys just got here, right? Like, they've had a long time to build this organization, to build the depth, to put their stamp on this team, to design a team that they're really happy with. And uh, as Shai said, you, running it back is not an option, and that's coming after we've seen fairly significant changes going in to this season. So it's, uh, it's a tough situation for the Jays' front office um 650 650 more text coming in about the jays uh keep your ask us anything's coming in too we got an open segment so we got lots of time uh for your ask us anything questions it is an ask us anything friday here on halford and bruff we'll read some of them coming up next uh next segment on halford and bruff here on sportsnet 650 much like the folks at weber at johnstone's they were born to barbecue come in with your apron ready to go and they'll get you all sorted out with the next grill of your dreams. Grilling on a Weber is guaranteed to be an experience that's better than your last. Get expert advice without paying the expert's price at Johnstone's Barbecues, your destination for all things barbecue since 1975. They're open five days a week with two locations to serve you. Visit them online at johnstones.com.